Praise God. I know we're supposed to be in Revelation 22, 15, and we've actually spent a little time there, but we're spending time on different words in that passage. of. Uh, it's basically a vice list of the damned, of who won't enter God's kingdom, who won't enter the holy city, who will go to the lake of fire. Uh, but I've left off that just for a little bit because we've had some devotional type messages and, and typology last week. Did you guys enjoy the message on Joseph being a picture of Christ last week? Uh, those, you know, if you're like me, I just love typology because it just shows God's power. It shows his wisdom. It shows his artistic beauty. Uh, and, and it just refutes any liberal attempt to try to dissuade you from trusting God's word because no one could just do that, you know? All these pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. If you didn't get that message, I went through, I don't know, maybe 50 different pictures of Christ in Joseph's life. And believe me, uh, pray for me because I'm always working on things I never finished book-wise, but that's because I would put out a ton of videos, you know, and those seem to resonate with people. And, uh, but I'm working on about 100 pictures of Christ. There's a lot more that I didn't share uh, in Joseph's life because such a powerful witness to our Jewish friends and just to non-believers in general, amen, because you see, you see the beauty of Christ. Well, this message is, is basically a back-to-basics kind of message, which will hopefully be encouraging uh, to you no matter where you're at in your Christian walk. Uh, and it's basically called the beauty of the gospel. And I think what happens to us is we become immune to the beauty of the gospel because we t- start to take it for granted. And I try to show you the gospel in various different ways and through different expressions in Scripture. The last time I, I got really into another, Joseph, by the way, last week's a picture of the gospel. We saw that. But remember uh, Mephibosheth, right? Powerful picture of the gospel, you know? He's destitute. He's on his own. He should be hunted and killed, you know, because of his family ties to, Saul, to King Saul and uh, being his son and King Saul being deposed uh, by David, and, but instead he was forgiven, he was sought out, he was brought into the king's palace and ate with him at his table. And that's where we're headed. We're destined for the throne if we're in Christ, amen? So I, I just gave a study like that, I don't know, so many weeks ago on a picture of the gospel, but I like to always return to the gospel because, you guys, why did God leave us on this planet? Why are we even here any longer? Why did he just take us the day we got saved? Well, there's a few different reasons uh, one of the reasons is because he's transforming us, man. He's making us like Christ, amen? We're like, you know, gold, you know, in the crucible. We're, we're like gold in the, in the refiner's fire, and he's removing the dross from us and making us more like Christ and to, 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 be, cause we're con- to be conformed to the image of Christ, amen? And that's one of your purposes. What's God's will in my life? You know what God's will for your life is? In Romans 8, 29, it says he predestined us to be conformed to, be conformed to the image of his son, Amen. <laughs> So that's why you're supposed to be getting up each day to become more like Christ, amen? If you have a different goal than that, you're, you're missing the mark, you know? You're off target, and it's imperative that we get that. But it's also we're here because we're his ambassadors, man. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. So we're ambassadors to a foreign land. He said, I've chosen you out of the world, amen? So, but at the same time, guess what? He says, occupy till I come, Amen? So we're, we're representing our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords from the kingdom of heaven who is going to take this planet back, amen? He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule with a rod of iron, amen? So we're looking forward to him, to him coming back. But we've been given marching orders. What are those marching orders? Matthew chapter 28. And if you're a Christian, man, this, these are words that are addressed to all of us as disciples. And I love it in verse 18, he assures us that all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, Jesus said. These politicians, man, the power that they wield is just minute, man. It's like nothing, you know. And when the Antichrist shakes his fist in God's face, think of an ant 
picking up a little piece of straw like, and going like this to you. You know, it's like embarrassing. Really, really, Aunt? Boom, you're dead, you know? So, uh, but you know what? It says, Lord will destroy him with the spirit of his mouth. The brightness is coming. So we represent our king. The Bible says we're ambassadors, right? And God speaks through us, amen, crying out through us to be reconciled to God. So in Matthew 28, when he says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, he goes on to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to the, all the nations, amen, right? Making disciples of them and what? Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we don't just preach the gospel. We make disciples as well. Amen? And I love verse 20. Matthew, Gospel Matthew ends with verse 20, guys. Lo, I'm with you always, even to what? The end of the age. I love it, man. It's like bookends. All power in heaven and earth is given to me, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. You feel this mission. So if you're aspiring for something more than his kingdom and, 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 and sharing Jesus and wanting people to know Jesus, that's the highest, man. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. This should be first on our list. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He'll meet your needs. He'll meet your needs. So, I mean, how many professing Christians are in church right now? There's millions of them right now here in the United States and elsewhere in this hemisphere of the world. How many of them are in church, but they're first? But Christ isn't first. Their career is before Jesus. Or they put somebody else before Jesus or something before Jesus. Amen? Don't do that. That's idolatry. That's on that Revelation 22, 15 list we've been talking about. Put Christ first. Amen? But we've been given this great commission. And we won't fulfill our marching orders to go into all the world if we're focused on anything less than being Christ-centered in our lives. Amen? And in Luke 24, Jesus said, to preach the gospel, verses 46 and 47, and preach repentance for the forgiveness or the remission of sins. Amen? So we need to preach repentance, to turn to Christ, to follow Christ. That needs to be our focus. And it's important that you understand, and the reason I call this the beauty of the gospel, because the gospel is absolutely beautiful. There's nothing as beautiful as the gospel on earth. You know, I, I see, you know, my grandchildren, the children playing, all the children in the church. To me, it's just like, wow, kids are so beautiful. I love to hear them playing. I used to live by a, a school, and I'd hear the kids at recess, you know, not far from my home. And it was such a beautiful sound, you know, just in the background. You could just barely hear them on that. So precious. The rainbow is incredibly beautiful. There's so many sunsets are so beautiful. Godly love stories are so beautiful, but nothing comes close to touching the gospel. And Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's a beautiful Greek word, too, by the way. It means good news. Euangelion. You can be translated great news, you know. The euangelion. Man, what a beautiful word. The euangelion, it, it's, it, it means the good news, but it's incredibly good news. And the world's just filled with bad news, huh? You ever watch the news? You hardly ever hear about any good news, Right? But there's good news happening every day. Every day, just one, any day one person gets saved, and there's thousands getting saved daily around the world, tens of thousands often. Guess what? Just one sinner coming to repentance, the angels of God rejoice. They're seeing the good news. They're rejoicing. Get involved, man, in missions. Get involved in sharing the gospel. Man, then you, the, the joy is just amazing when one sinner comes to repentance. And I've said before, if angels rejoice and they can't be saved, how much more should we rejoice because we can sympathize with someone who's lost and then found. Amen? 
dead and then made alive, in darkness and in the light. We should be radically rejoicing when people get saved. Amen? And man, that just blesses your life when you're involved in, you know, Jesus said, it must be about my father's business. We ought to be about his father's business. That's why he saved us. So he left us on this planet. And one of the things we're focusing on this year is evangelism, very strong emphasis here in Simi Valley. We do missions around the world, but this, this year we're focusing intensely on preaching the gospel. And in some of our home groups, now be, those are coming to my home group tonight, we're talking about you know, different aspects of sharing the gospel so we can be equipped. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to equip them for the work of the ministry, it says. And every once in a while I'll have a Sunday message like this that'll help equip you, that'll encourage you, but also encourage you on how to share with others. For Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the what? Power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen? Wow. And I love what Paul defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I told you before, a friend of mine named Wally Tope, who was kicked to death in L.A. for sharing the gospel with, by a bunch of people. Okay? It doesn't happen very often out in these areas, but he got actually kicked into a coma and died some weeks later in the hospital. And... He had shared with me that he followed the Mormon prophet, you know, president of the LDS Church in Utah around because he, he found out who, where he was. And he it just asked him a question when he was getting in the vehicle. And he said, hey, do you know where the Bible actually says what the gospel is? And he said the guy didn't have an answer. He said, I, or specifically said, this is what the gospel is. The president of the Mormon church, their prophet. And he said... He quoted the scripture. Paul said, I declare to you the gospel by which you're being saved if you hold fast what you've received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel, man. That he died for our sins, amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, amen? And that he rose again and conquered death on the third day. We're supposed to preach that gospel, man. And you know what? When it says it's the power of God of salvation, woo, man, you see that evidence all over the place, don't you? Look at us right here. And we represent, we're a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. Hundreds of millions of people that profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, guys. Preach the gospel, you know? Uh, it's like, and we stand in defense of the gospel, but, and you need to defend it at times. But it's been compared to a lion. You just let it out of the cage. It does its job, Right? So the gospel has power in of itself. It saves, and it's powerful. So it's important, though, to understand that when you're sharing the gospel, that people don't realize that they need a sinner. And I don't want to talk about, because that's going to be my home group message, is, is talking about how to use the law to win people to Christ, how to be very effective in preaching the gospel. But I want to just touch on that for a second. People don't need, know they need a Savior until they see their sin. Amen? until they're convicted of their sin. And we got a lot of people running around today that just don't even know what sin is. we got men chasing men to have sex with men. I mean, I'm sorry, that is sinful, wicked, gross, okay? Women with women, the Bible says it's unnatural, right? Men going after little boys, little girls, that's wicked. Mothers, I just read recently, killing their children and stuff. It's like, wow. And, oh, and people confused about being made male and female, you know? An incredibly popular preacher today, 
Uh, Chad did a 9-11 episode on him, that was, or a 5-11 episode that was, uh, could call it 9-11, because a lot of 9-11s he has to reveal spiritually, but 5-11 uh, news, and he, has, he shows this, man, what's the guy's name? It's Mike, what? Yeah, Mike Todd. He has like hundreds of thousands of subscribers, I think, you know, huge. And he shows him preaching, man, and he's like, I don't know why God made us male and female. I mean, if I was doing it, I would tell God, you know, well, really. And he says, hey, it doesn't matter if you're transgender. Everybody's welcome here without repentance. Come, please come. Yeah, he wants a lot of people. He wants to have a big church. He says people going into gay bars and stuff, that's basically not a problem, you know. Wow. And people, the gospel is so good, we don't only get forgiven, but we get transformed. Amen? And the name of his ministry is Transformation Ministries. And he goes, why do you think we named it Transformation Ministries? Trans. That's probably a lie, by the way. I don't think he was thinking that years, you know, back when he called it Transformation Ministries. But if he was, that's so perverted, man. So people are confused as to what the gospel is and what it does. But the beauty of the gospel, man, we don't only receive forgiveness of sins, we receive transformation of the heart. Amen? Amen. So we need to stand for the true gospel. Paul talked about standing in defense of the gospel. And Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept into the church unnoticed, who are turning the grace of God Christ's finished work, what he did on the cross, into a license for immorality. And then he warns them that you can't turn grace into a license. It'll damn you. He says, for after God delivered them or saved them out of Egypt, Greek word sozo for salvation, saved them out of Egypt. It's a picture of our salvation throughout the New Testament. He uses a picture. It, it says afterwards he's destroyed those who didn't believe. And he says, and the angels who kept not their own domain but abandoned their proper abode has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Wow. And then he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the seas around them, how they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example of eternal fire. They're an example of what happens when you live wicked lives and you pursue adultery and fornication and homosexuality and all these things. People are dying in their sins, guys. But we have the antidote. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings forgiveness of sins and transformation of the heart. And we were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once blind, but now we see. We were once groveling in darkness, but now we have the light of Christ. Amen? And he's transformed us. And if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, right? And all things have become new. What a beautiful truth that is. Amen? He's made us new creations, given us new hearts. He took away that stony heart, right? And gave us hearts of flesh that beat for him. Amen? And man, what a beautiful thing it is. The beauty of the gospel to be transformed by the Lord of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, to have our feet put on the rock, amen? To we now have stability. We're standing in him. And to have our names written in heaven. We're called to rejoice. Not that we have power over the demons, but he says rejoice that your names are written in heaven, amen? And now we're joint heirs with Christ. You can't beat that, guys. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Come on now. We ought to be so thankful in our hearts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the problem is, a lot of times, you know, people don't understand their sinfulness. They know deep down. They have a sense of guilt early on in their lives. They feel bad for hurting people, you know. Little Johnny whacks Diane. Or how come Johnny is always the bad guy? Little Diane whacks Johnny, you know, (laughs) right? 
And little Johnny's in tears. And Diane's like, and then she sees what she's done and she starts to feel some remorse. And people, as they get older, they, be, they, they start to feel accountable because there's a sense of accountability. It's called guilt. The reason we feel guilty is because we are. We're guilty of sin. What happens is you can suppress the truth. You can, the Bible talks about how you can sear your consciences with a hot iron, 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can burn it so it no longer responds. That's, how you, that's why you have sociopaths, psychopaths. These are people without a conscience. You know how they describe people without a conscience who have no sense of right and wrong and just destroy and hurt people? They're called psychopaths, sociopaths. Darwinism can't really deal with that, can they? Well, guess what? God has the answers. And we're all sinners, man, and that's where the forgiveness comes. And the need for forgiveness comes in. But Satan has a way of explaining away, like through the New Age movement and through searing people's consciences, sin and what it is to where people can feel whatever they do. It's not really sin. It's not really destructive. Even Muslims, Islam doesn't really have a, even close to a biblical concept of sin. They don't. They look at it as mis like just mistakes you make. That's, that's, I mean, that's the big uh, subject when you study Islam and Muslim so-called scholarship and, and so forth. They don't have a real under understanding of what sin is. So you have to make them aware of what sin is. You know, one way you can make it, there's a lot of metaphors for sin. In fact, I was working late into the night last night on the different metaphors for sin in Scripture. And I was just up pretty late because I was like, man, there's so many. And I've studied that before. But I studied it in more depth than I think I had before. And I was like, all these different pictures in the Bible of what sin is and how it's compared to you. And I thought, and I was going to preach some of that. I thought, I'm going to preach very little of that because that's a message in itself. Because for every time you see these metaphors for sin, I love how Jesus is the antidote for those things. And I thought, man, that's a whole study in itself. That was part of my study. It just went, I go, okay, Lord. I'm going to set it aside. But one thing, some of the things you do need to use is understand, just to bring a few of them into this message, because you can't really appreciate your need for the Savior until you realize, realize you need saving. Amen? And it's been said, if God, if the problem of the world was economics, God would have sent an economist. Amen? If the problem was a lack of scientific understanding, God would have sent a scientist. But the problem is sin, so God sent a Savior, amen? And only God could be that Savior. He sent Jesus. That's the problem we're dealing with in the world. That's why we've been given these marching orders. But when you're talking to a Muslim, I read about a Muslim woman whose daughter brought home some food or somebody gave her some takeout she took home and she stuck it in the fridge and her mother ate it. It looked good and she ate it. And she thought, wow, this meat is delicious, she was like, wow, this is so good. And she looked at the receipt and found out it was pork. And she freaked out because in Islam, they copied a lot of the New Testament, copied a lot of the Old Testament, and they took the Jewish, some of the Jewish dietary laws, right, applied them to Islam. And she just turned red with shame. And she was like, I ate pork because that's considered sinful. It's unclean. And she trying to make herself throw up and puke it out. Well, that's a great way to show a Muslim their sin is uncleanness. And you can, you know, use an example. Yeah, well, what if you're eating a salad and then somebody sticks a piece of bacon in there and mixes it into your salad? You know what a Muslim would do? 
Do you think they just take out the bacon? They throw out the salad because they recognize the whole salad has become unclean. And you use that as a picture when you're talking to them. Say, think of it this way. Would you eat that salad? Why not? It's unclean because they call it an abomination. The salad is an abomination. Well, guess what? God's word says that you're unclean. You're an abomination. We are all abominations. Amen? That we need forgiveness. Amen? And that forgiveness, we need to be cleansed of our sins. And it's not just trying to get rid of the bacon. We need to be forgiven because our sins are transgressions against the Lord. And so uh, it's important to understand haram is, haram is the uh, Arabic word for uncleanness. It means to be utterly unclean. You can let them know, hey, God's word says, and you give them an illustration like that, and they can relate to that kind of illustration. Like, yeah, guess what? You don't just have one little piece of bacon in you, man. You're just filled with it from head to toe. All of us have sin, amen? It's affected the entirety of who we are. It's like a mechanic, man. His hands are all greasy, and everything he touches, unless he cleans his hands, is going to get greasy. And that's how we are before we get saved. Because Jesus says, he that's not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. If you're not with Christ, you're scattering. You're having a very greasy effect on the rest of the people around you because you're living for yourself as though you're your own little God and you're not. And you're not going to be, you can't hold the universe together. You can't forgive. You can't transform. So this is very, very serious, you guys. The Bible compares our sin to dung. Paul said, you know, remember he said, you know, in Philippians chapter 3, he compared his, his former life to dung, rubbish. It could be used of human excrement. It could be used of trash. Sin is like going back to your, a dog going back to its what? Vomit. Vomit. Vomit's a pretty powerful picture, right? Or, or a pig going back to her, her, after she's cleansed, back to her wallowing in the mud. Okay, that's another picture of, there's a lot of pictures of sin. And like I said, I was going to get into a lot of them, but I want to get into some of them because you know why? You do not see the beauty of the gospel, man, until you see the depravity of human nature. And you realize we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I mean, think about it, you know. When a jeweler shows you a diamond, does he show it to you with like this sparkling, clean, white background? No, he takes a black vel- piece of black velvet and sticks it in front of that to contrast the beauty of the diamond so you can see it with that absolutely dark background. Although, guess what? They try to make that background look pretty and make it velvet. Well, that's not our sins, not velvet, though, is it? And I think it's a trip. I don't think that's an accident because that's what God does. The stars are a picture of his light. But man, one of the stars, they're brightest. When there's a full moon out, no one, there's no light in the sky besides the stars. When you have that pitch black background, then he shines. and He wants to make each of us his stars, the Bible says. And I've been studying rainbows recently. I thought, oh, there's another great picture. Not just the joy, not just the stars, but I was reading when I was studying rainbows because they're just, they just arrest me, man. I'm just like, whoa, God, you're, you're doing something so beautiful there. And it's a picture of your grace, your love, your mercy, your promise. Amen? But you know when the rainbows are the most radiant and most beautiful? When they have a dark storm cloud behind them. <sighs> and that's what we need to do is we need to let people know they're sinners. I got a great question last week or last month at our home group. And one was like, man, it can be really hard sometimes sharing the good news with people because you've got to tell them they're sinners and it's really hard. And, like, and I said, well, you know, 
that was at the end of the, near the end of the study last, week, last month, and I said we're going to get into next month about using the law to bring people to Christ, which I'll have a message on that sometime coming up again. And I'm talking about that a little bit right now, but I want to get into the beauty of the gospel and not spend too much time on that, but I'll just say, hey, you need, to, you need to let people know who they are. You just need to be real. But the best way to do that is to not say, okay, I'm Holy Joe. You know, my name is Joe, so that can, that can work a little bit with me, right? And, but no, you don't go, I'm Holy Joe, man. We're sinners saved by grace. Right. And he's transforming us, and now we're not living a life of sin anymore because we're forgiven and we're being transformed, but we're still saved by grace. And, and last time in my home group, we talked about those lepers. Remember the three lepers? They were going to be destroyed, right? Because everybody was, you know, depleted. I mean, you would be happy if you could buy the head of a donkey to eat, but they can't even find that anymore. Trash was being thrown over to the Jews because the Syrians were surrounding them, and they just, they couldn't even get any trash then to eat, try to pick some food from. And the three lepers like, we're going to die. Why don't we go to the Syrians who are going to wipe us out? And they kind of trot over the hill. I wish I could see this on video. And like, we're going to ask them for some food. If they kill us, hey, we're going to die anyway. We're dying. They're skeletons, man. And he, they just go up to him, and God makes a sound of a rushing army, chariots. The Syrians don't realize it's three lepers coming. They're just like, and they take off the whole Syrian camp, man. Leave all this wonderful food being cooked behind. And God provides them bread. But one of them says, you know what? How can we do this, being that God has blessed us so much? and not share it with others, our countrymen. And the Bible says we're debtors to the gospel. Amen? We owe God everything we could ever pay it back, but we, our, our fine's been paid by Jesus, amen? amen? And now since it's been paid, it's immoral of us to hide this gift within when people are perishing and going to hell forever, when we can share it with others, amen? And we ought to be. That's why we're left here, Amen? Leprosy, as we've taught before, is just a really powerful picture of, of the sinner, man. Alienated. You were separated from everybody else. Isn't that right? You couldn't be around anybody, man, except other lepers. You have leper colonies. And I remember my Bible encyclopedias, which I consult on leprosy, say, oh, well, leprosy, there's, this is probably just like, you know, skin disease of like scabies or something like that. I didn't say scabies, but just on the surface. And there was no leprosy in those days, in Jerusalem, in Israel, ever recorded. So when the Bible says leprosy, it's just speaking of a, just a rash or what have you. And man, when I first read that in the second piece, I was like, that bummed out. Man, okay, well, praise God. Somebody with a rash is, and can get cleansed and stuff. Naaman just had like a rash, you know? You know, I'm like, what? And, but I'm like, that's what the encyclopedias were saying. Bible encyclopedias, because they didn't know of any cases. They're just trying to be honest, you know? Saying, hey, but guess what, man? They found a, the oldest leper in the world they found because his body was sealed in a tomb to where no one could touch it. And they know when that happens in Jerusalem, of all places, so nobody would get infected. If somebody who dies of a disease, they put in these sealed tombs. Then it was never broken. They broke it open. They sent it to Canada from Jerusalem to do forensic studies, and it was real leprosy. The oldest leper they've ever found was right there in Jerusalem. That's a trip, man. God heals the lepers, amen? But the Bible uses leprosy as a picture of us. They're called unclean. So using cleanliness and uncleanness is a great way to witness to, to Muslims to show them that they become unclean. They're like lepers. 
and the lepers had to be isolated. Weren't we isolated before we came to Christ? We were separated from God. Amen. And the lepers lose feeling. I mean, I read a book by a Christian doctor who's a missionary who writes about how he discovered when the lepers would lose digits of their fingers, it's because they lost feeling. They had people watch at night while they were losing their digits because people thought it's because you become numb, which you do. Your extremities, you don't start to not feel everything. And they thought it's because the way you use it, you don't, you're not careful with your fingers. You start to lose your digits because you're not careful. But guess what he discovered? At least in the cases he saw, people's fingers were getting eaten by rats at night. They couldn't feel it to wake up. And the rats would know. They could just nibble them away. So you lose feeling. Isn't that how it is for is that sin does? Paul says to the Ephesians that their old life, man, they were beyond feeling. We talked about the heart can be seared, amen? The conscience can be seared. You don't feel sympathy or empathy or care. And that's what we were before we knew Christ. And it affects you from head to toe. Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about how their sin is a, like an impure sore from head to toe. They're covered, man. And that's how we were. And I've done whole studies where we just spend a whole service almost describing what leprosy is. But the answer is in Christ. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. You know, you weren't allowed, if you were a leper, man, you had to go around and you had to stay several feet from somebody, like 10 feet or so. That's, that's amazing. Amen? You know, and wasn't that what they did with the vaccination or the, I'm sorry, the uh, COVID? Stay a certain amount of distance. Uh, well, where did they get that? Oh, they obviously misapplied it, you know. In fact, I think a lot of people died because of the bad counsel because they made everybody think if you wore a mask, you'll save a bunch of lives. So how many people were going to grandma thinking because they had a mask on, grandma's going to live now. And they killed, not purposely, my heart breaks for them, but how many, maybe tens of thousands of people died because people were told, first they're told the truth by Fauci, the masks don't do anything. Hmm. Oh, I, I, I misspoke. No, you lied because you believe they do. And, or you actually believe they didn't. He said what he felt was the truth, I believe, there. And then he says, oh, they do work. Go get them. But I just didn't want everybody to get them and take them from the nurses and stuff. And then everybody's thinking they work, and they're killing people left and right. Think about that. People don't think of it that way. I think of it that way. Because when he said that, I'm like, wait a minute. And then it came out, you know, then we're looking at more and more studies. And it's like, what was it, six months ago? I mean, the liberal, I mean, the, the universities say, actually, they, if they work at all, it's absolutely, it's like barely, you know? Joe's on patrol. He's like one of the, one of the watchmen, you know? Uh, but it's serious stuff, guys. But guess what? You know what the Bible says? If you're a leper, not like keep a distance, but it says when you talk to people, it says put your hand on your mustache and yell, leper, leper. What's, what, why did God say put your hand on your mustache? I don't know how women do that, unless they're Italian women, you know. <laughs> just kidding, my wife's Italian, you know. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit Italian, so I'm just playing, you know. Uh, very little bit, but I'm a little bit Italian. <laughs> but uh, I joke, you guys. I'm, I'm part of, like I said, I'm a little, I'm a smidge of Italian. So anyway, uh, but that's, think about it, man. You know, that's crazy. He's, he's having them cover their mouth when they cough or they speak. So don't spread germs because one out of four people can get a leprosy 
from, another, from a, a person with leprosy. But guess what? The difference is the sin is 100%. Amen? All have sinned. Amen? But you know, the beauty of the gospel, Jesus takes away our uncleanness. It says all of our, even our righteousness in our own self-estimation is like filthy rags. They're like unclean rags. Amen? And Jesus uses, the Bible uses Isaiah, the picture of a menstrual cloth. That's the word that's used there that's been infected. But all of our blood is tainted, amen? That's, man, it's amazing when you think about it. Now, by the way, you laughed at the Italian joke, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, think about it. When you're coughing, you know, you're supposed to cover your mouth. They didn't know that back then. They didn't know that until the 1800s, actually. They didn't have any idea how germs worked. But God was on it. But you know what? You couldn't touch a leper. It was wrong to touch a leper because you could become infected. But that's a trip, man. Because the view of the gospel is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to take away our sins. Amen. And Jesus goes up and touches a leper and heals him. Now, you wouldn't touch a leper because the unclean would make the clean unclean. Amen. But in this case, Jesus, because he's God in the flesh, He's the clean one. He touches the leper. He doesn't become unclean. He makes the leper clean. Think about that, guys. That's why you go to Jesus, man. And your sins are forgiven. Your leprosy. And he transforms your heart and makes you a new person. Amen? It's the beauty of the gospel. And what I love when you look at the scripture is uh, just the... And I'm not going to take time to do this. I did this a long time ago. I thought that was a really cool study, though. But I looked at different words that were newly coined words that were never used in the Greek language, like bowels of compassion. Because just through my studies, every once in a while I say, oh, that's a new Greek word. But I realize there's a little pattern there that some of these new words or the way new words were used that were given a new meaning were tied to God's love. Because Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 9 how Jesus, right, he's called the unspeakable gift. In other words, even the Greek language, one of the most radical language for expressing can't contain and express the words the Holy Spirit would love to use to express to us the great love of God. Mind-boggling. So he says, he calls Jesus the unspeakable gift. James says, talks about the love of God, he calls it, you know, the bowels of compassion, a compound word. Bowels of compassion. The, 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 the stomach areas where more than you feel in your heart, you'll feel, when you feel love and so forth, and you're a youngster, and you're like, man, you know, my, you hold your stomach more than your heart, you know? And that's the biblical reference is the bowels of compassion. Uh, and the word agape. That word was not used very much in the Greek language at all. And it became this incredible word because often it was used in the context of being infused with God's love, divine love, love that was from above that humans didn't really comprehend. The love for all people. Amen. Now, do you realize this, all this talk about love in the woke community right now? Do you realize that they're basically hijacking the gospel but twisting it? They didn't talk about love. In the Roman world, where Paul and Jesus and Peter were, they didn't talk about love, meaning we need to lay our lives down for one another. No greater love is this person than they lay down his love for others and, and, and how what God loves us and God became a man. And that was so foreign to them. Why do you think the gospel just <laughs> took off like wildfire, man? Because it explained the true love of God. They didn't know that kind of love. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We're supposed to lay our lives down for our wives. That's Women were chattel to them. They were like slaves' rights for the man. 
And even the Jews, man, the, yeah, the, the men on one side, the women on the other, it was Christianity that brought people together, slaves and slaveholders, men and women, all mixed together now. Amen? It was inclusive and brought everyone together who came to Christ, who repented and turned to the true Jesus. The beauty of the gospel, Satan has tried to hijack that through the woke. Oh yeah, let's all come together and be one without repentance. We'll claim we're one, but we'll be our own gods. We'll decide whether Johnny will become Jeanette, or Jeanette will become Johnny, or whether we'll kill the little baby in the womb, and we'll just call it a tumor or a cancer. And by the way, it's your own body. No, it's not your own body. It's got its own DNA. It's somebody else's body. And we'll just lie to ourselves and pretend that it's a false gospel, you guys, is what it is. It's really a false gospel. They're, they're trying to take what God is doing, and they're saying, hey, we can do it. And we'll just call it being woke. When the irony is it's about being asleep in the dark, not awake in the light. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Awake, O sleeper, let the light of Christ shine on you. The Christians are the true woke people. Because we see the spiritual world. We see that we wrestle against flesh and blood. We see God's prophetic plan. We see where it's all headed. The more woke the woke in the world become, the more asleep they are. But we need to wake them up. How? Ephesians 5.11. How? No fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That Greek word expose there is the same Greek word that's used by Jesus in John 16, 8 through 11, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict, convict. It's translated convict there. The world of sin of righteousness, and of judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. How does he do that? Well, he uses us by preaching the gospel to expose the works of darkness, say, hey, we're in sin, but praise God, there's good news. We're in the dark, but the good news is awake, O sleeper, right? And Christ will shine his light on you and rise from the dead, amen? God will give you spiritual life. You'll be born again. You'll become a new creation. And behold, if you truly become woke, and part of the community of believers, old things will pass away and all things will become new. Men won't be chasing men anymore. People, parents won't be trying to say, oh, it's unpopular right now. To, you know, you're really a hit, man, if you make your child another sex, you know, which you can't do. It's impossible. Like my mom said, when the, before this stuff was even becoming vogue, I remember she's a nurse and she's like, Joe, a doctor told me at the hospital, he used the example that a man that becomes a woman is still a man. I mean, he's still got a prostate, you know. I'm like, that's a good point, Mom. It really is. But you don't have to even get into the science. It's just obvious. It's, it's heartbreaking, though. So our hearts need to break for the people that are in this darkness because that was us. And that's what you can't forget. That was you and me before we were saved. I mean, we had our own, we were in our own darkness, amen? And we got to remember that's where we came from. Like the lepers who said, the three lepers, and one says, hey, we should give this bread to others we got to remember, we had leprosy. Jesus healed us by his grace, not because of anything we have done, but purely by his grace and mercy. So we got to realize the people that are in darkness, that was us before we got saved, instead of having holier-than-thou attitudes, that we're something special. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Don't let your knowledge puff you up and make you think you're better than other people. It says the Pharisees, their problem, Jesus said, one of their problems was they thought they were holier than others. No, we're saved by grace. That's why it's important to always focus on the cross. Paul says, what do you have but that which you've received? Amen? So you've got to constantly remember that. It's by grace of God, Paul says, that I go. Amen? And Paul remembered that he was the chief of sinners, but God saved him so others would find in the future that they too could be saved. 
So we can't have an attitude that we're better than. We're not. We've been transformed and made righteous by his forgiveness and then by his sanctifying grace, but that's all by his grace. We are what we are, amen? We could still easily be dead in our sins. So we have to look at people with mercy. Look at people with grace. You know, even people in other churches that uh, say they differ from you, but the doctrine, they still have the essentials. They believe Jesus is God. They believe he became a man. They believe he rose, died for our sins. He rose again and conquered the grave. Amen. He's coming back. The Bible is the word of God. They believe all these things, but they differ with you in some areas, and we talk about those things. Those are important things to talk about because it's not like there's the gospel and the essentials and everything else doesn't matter. It matters so much that Paul corrects a lot of these wrong things. They're important, but we recognize, guess what? I could easily believe the wrong thing doesn't make me better than somebody because I happen to hear the truth or God opened my eyes in the area. That's his grace that he opened your eyes. So we love people that have different convictions, different, uh, on different doctrines and stuff. We recognize that we all need to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we need to spread it together. Amen? Not becoming ecumenical and joining hands with people that are apostate, though, that have a different gospel and teach that you have to work to earn your salvation and, you know, Wear a brown scapular so when you die, Mary will take you from purgatory. That's a different gospel. But we need to also make sure when we differ on issues, uh, biblical issues that are important, that are not essential for salvation, that we talk about them, but that we don't have a proud, arrogant attitude. We pray for people. We love them. Amen. But same thing goes when we're dealing with sinners. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you were. Don't forget where you came from. Amen. Now, I love this, man. This trips me out. Is Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer more than once. Do you know that? All he had to do was give it one time. He's got my attention because they asked him, you know, they didn't say, what do we pray? They said, how do we pray? And he told them how to pray. But he did that more than once. In Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. And two different times he told his disciples to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, Right? We have a Father. He's personal. He's not some cosmic force. We're made His image. Amen. Who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Lord, we, we pray that your name be hallowed. That you be magnified in our lives. That you be shown to be thrice holy. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, meet our needs according to your riches and glory. That prayer is a perfect prayer. It covers everything. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We need mercy. That's our greatest need. We need forgiveness. Amen. We need grace. As we forgive those who sin against us. Amen. We need Father, transform our hearts and help us to have loving hearts. Because he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, you won't be forgiven either. But if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Then he said, lead us not, he prayed, pray this way, and lead us not into temptation. How many of us need to be, that's an important part of prayer. Amen. Deliver us from evil. Whew. That's so important, man. The porneron. Some, some translations have deliver us from the evil one because the Greek word porneron, uh, speaking of the evil one, Satan can be used as Satan. can be translated either way. What's interesting, though, to me is that Jesus uses two different Greek words to define sin in Luke 11, 4, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. In Luke chapter 8, verse, or, sorry, chapter 11, verse 4, you know, the word he uses is different then Matthew 6, 12, and it's the word harmatia. Harmatia, that's the Greek word for sin. It's used over and over again in the New Testament. In fact, say harmatia. Harmatia, that's the word for sin. And that word is very interesting because that's a word that is used to miss the mark, to miss the goal, you know. It's used, of, it's used in archery, harmatia. When the archer is aiming for the bullseye and he misses, 
He missed the mark, harmatia. For all have sinned, right? Fallen short of the glory of God. All have harmatia. All of us have blown it. We've all missed the mark. So Jesus is saying, pray that God would forgive your missing the mark for your transgressions. Transgression, when the Bible talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that this is God's will for you, even your sanctification, and that none of you transgress. Okay? The Greek word for transgress there is hooper, meaning going above, and then plano, which is a compound word which has to do with going over a line, transgressing, trespassing, right? Going over a line. So we transgress, and that's what harmatia does. It, it goes outside the lines. It's not just shooting. It was also used of people throwing spears, and they missed the target. And harmatia is not just used of missing the bullseye for us. It's used of, we're missing the target altogether. We're not getting any points. You know, you ever play darts and you get some points, but the further you get out on the board, you get a little... Well, we don't get any points. I thought about that. I go, Lord, it's not just missing the bullseye, huh? We don't even hit the target at all. Amen? We're all guilty of that. Harmatia is also used, that Greek word, of those who go off the path and go onto the wrong path. That was all of us, right? Jesus says, enter the straight gate, for narrow is the way, right? That leads to, to salvation, that leads to life, and few are those who find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many are those who are on that road. Amen? Broad and spacious is that way. That's the road we run. Harmatia. We're on the wrong road. We're missing the bullseye. We're missing the target. We missed the whole point of life. That's harmatia. But the other word that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer is a totally different word. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts. It's not the word harmatia. It's the word for being in debt. So sin, sinfulness is uncleanness. But he makes us clean. If we confess our sins, he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. If we're on the wrong road, when we come to Jesus, he said, I'm the way. Amen. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me we get on the narrow road that leads to Christ. That leads to the Father. Amen. Leads to heaven. So it's getting on the right road. and We miss the mark. Well, he dies and pays for those sins. But guess what? That word for... That word for uh, Forgive us our debts in Matthew 6. If yours just says in verse 12, sins, the word debt, you can actually write the word debt right above that. That's what that word means, man. In Matthew 6, 12. We are in debt. We owe God righteousness. That we have every time we've sinned, we owe him righteousness because he created us in his image and we've blown it. We fall more and more in debt. Amen. And that's just amazing. And so you got two different words there being used, and I think it's important that we get that. In fact, it's interesting. Remember the guy that owed his master? How much did he owe his master? Remember how many talents it was? 10,000 talents, right? I told you before, 10,000 was the biggest word they could write in Greek, and a talent was the biggest sum of money, biggest denomination. It was actually a huge bag of gold, one talent. A lifetime's worth of work would make a talent for you. The average person could have a bag of gold at the end of his life if he didn't have to use that gold and everything he worked for his entire life. And everything was, say it was all paid for except every ounce of gold that he worked for through the years. He would have a whole bag of gold at the end of his life. Of course, he wouldn't typically because that he has to live. Imagine paying, owing your master 10,000 bags of gold. Not going to happen. Or you're not, it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's a reality. You can't pay it back though. Amen. So we're all in incredible debt. And uh, 1 John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law. We're criminals, man. 
We need forgiveness. In fact, I was reading that, uh, that the king of Egypt, during the times of Julius Caesar, he paid 6,000 talents. He's king of Egypt, man. He paid 6,000 talents of gold so he could be granted status to be, quote, a friend and ally of the Roman people. He wanted the protection of the Roman Empire, which was just burgeoning at that time. And he paid 6,000 talents, which was an unreal sum of money. It was like the equivalent of what was brought in by taxes in the Roman, uh, close to that anyway. And in today's money, that's $8,400,000,000. Okay? 10,000 talents. They're about. The talent wasn't just one coin. They just had one coin as a talent. No. It was like a bag of gold. Or it could be paid in a bag of silver, just a different weight in those days. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the beauty of the gospel. Go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And if you could, please go to verse uh, 12. Or you know what, let's start at verse 10. It's too much beauty here. 103, Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. I think if you're acquainted with it, it's probably true with you as well. In verse 10 it says, He has not dwelt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad God hasn't dealt with you according to your sins? I would be toast. If God was dealing with me according to my sins on Judgment Day, you would not want to be standing next to me. Okay? And same with you. Okay, I love you, but I probably wouldn't want to stand next to you if you just get what you deserved. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank God for his incredible grace. Amen? Now, it's interesting. Go ahead now and look at verse 12. As far as the what? East is from the west. So far he has removed our transgressions from us. In Job, it talks about sin sticking to you, your, sin sticking to your skin, you know, sticking to your hand, or it talks about it being this, how ugly sin is and how you just can't get it. It's like a stain. It's like an infection. But God took away our sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? That's pretty far. And what a picture of Jesus, man. The scapegoat was one of the pictures of Jesus being sacrificed for us, and the high priest would put his hands on this goat and confer the sins of Israel to this goat, and then it would be chased into the wilderness far away. And the Jews later would write in their Talmudic literature that they'd be chased off of a cliff to destroy it. Well, Jesus is, behold, the Lamb of God, says John the Baptist in 129 of John. Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. That sin that would cling to you, that you could never get rid of, that damns you, that keeps you separated from God forever. Man, Jesus bore that sin for us on the cross. Amen? What a beautiful, wonderful picture. He took that, man, as far as the east is from the west. I love that. You know, I'm glad it doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. It's interesting he said the east is from the west. Because guess what? If you go anywhere on the planet and you just head due north and you just keep going that way, eventually you'll hit what? The North Pole. Then as soon as you get to the North Pole, you keep going, guess what you'll be doing eventually? You'll be going south. They're pretty close together. But man, if you go east and you just keep going east, you won't end up going west. It's like God's saying, I've cast your sin like an infinite distance away from you so you can be forgiven. So now we get to go into God's throne room in his presence because he's forgiven us. Amen? Isn't the beauty of the gospel, isn't the gospel beautiful? Amen? It's so beautiful. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Amen?
By the way, it's really good to see you, Patty. It's my little sister, my littlest sister. I guess I only have one little sister because I have two older sisters, so my little sister, yeah. Good to see smiling at her little granddaughter over there. So getting her attention so you stay focused. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. She's having a great time, though. It's beautiful. Uh, so, wow, how awesome is our Lord. I love that. And you know, it's, it's really crazy when you think about it because look at verse, back up to verse 10 or verse 11. I skipped that verse. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. That's the idea. It's not going to the North Pole and going south. It's not like, no, the picture there is as high as the heavens are for the earth. So is his love for us. So when he's talking about east and west, he's saying, a huge distance, man. He, aren't you glad about that? Doesn't that make you happy that you don't have to pay for your sins? Amen. That Jesus paid the price so you could be forgiven? You should be so thankful. Man, it should make you want to worship every day. And that's why I love verses like, we love him, it says, because he what? First loved us, man. I just want to love him. I want to obey him. I'm not like, oh, I have to obey the Lord. Oh, I can't rob a bank today. Bummer. Oh, I can't commit adultery today. I can't, or I can't go beat that person up who, who wronged me. Oh, it's not, I don't like, like bummed out about that. The Bible says in 1 John, right, chapter 5, that this is the love of God, that we obey his commandments and they're not burdensome. It's not a burden to obey him because I want to obey him. And I'm encouraging you because Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that we might get our heads around, that we might comprehend and understand God's love for us in its height, depth, width, and length for us in Christ Jesus. And you know he wants to understand that? Because he wants us to understand who he is. But he also wants us to have an effect in our lives so we can respond to him in a love relationship. Amen? It's so beautiful. I love scriptures like that. And it's interesting because it's talking about the, the infinite distance from our sin in us. And, and, and it's interesting because in Psalm chapter 36, verse 5, when it's speaking of God's love and his mercy, his faithfulness, it says it reaches the heavens. It says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 103, 11. It's just beautiful. Uh, says as well, for as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. We read that. Now it's interesting. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 7. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast all the offspring of Israel off and for they, uh, all they've done, declares the Lord. Meaning, guess what? If you can measure and actually find the very distance where the cosmos ends, which you can't, then I won't have faithfulness and love in them anymore. In other words, guess what? My faithfulness and love is like that. I love that. He expounds on this idea through Scripture. That, so when you look at the starry night, you just think of the cosmos and how big it is. That's how big his love is. And that's the distance he's removed your sin from you because he loves you. And I told you, man, try to get your brain around. Just We live in a, the Milky Way galaxy, which is a small, tiny fraction of the universe. Yet it's so huge, just our galaxy. And I've told you, if you could strap yourself on a light beam and you could hold on to it and got, went at breakneck speed, what, 186,000 miles a second about? That means you could go around the planet Earth seven times in one second. You could travel that fast. That's fast, right? Around the Earth seven times in a second. Travel that speed. You know how much time it takes you to get across at that speed? Just across our galaxy? 100,000 years. Because our galaxy is 100,000 years across. Light years across, not miles, light years. At the speed of light, it takes 100,000 years to get across. Just our galaxy, which is so small compared to the rest of the universe. There's 
millions and millions of galaxies, and we're probably a medium-sized galaxy. They don't know that for sure, because how can you say that for sure? Because there could be galaxies that are so much bigger than ours, and we, it's just so amazing. But that's what he's done, man. Way beyond our galaxy, he's cast our sins. Amen? That is pretty awesome, man. But you have to be repentant. You have to say, hey, Lord, you matter more than anything. Having eternal life matters more than anything. Is there more? Is there, I would ask a question. Is there anything more important that you can, in, in your life than where you spend eternity? Is there a more important question than where you spend eternity forever that you get right on this planet? No, there isn't. What an awesome God we have. This amazing love is, is so amazing. I love Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. You have cast all my sins behind your back. I love that too. That's an amazing gospel, amen? He's cast all our sins behind his back. What's, what's that say? Well, when you throw something behind your back, you can't what? You can't see it, amen? He's not focusing on our sin. I love that. I love Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, he, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He blots them out. He doesn't remember them anymore. Some people say, yeah, God forgets. He can't, doesn't even know that you sinned. No, that's not what that means. It's an expression. If I say, hey, I forgot about that, bro. Don't worry about it. It doesn't mean I have, I've you know, got dementia and I've, you know, I don't remember what you did to me anymore. But it means I'm not holding, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, out to, I'm not gonna try to avenge what you did. I forgave you, bro, or sister, or whoever it is you're talking to. Isn't that awesome that God does that? Puts it behind his back. How far is that? From far as east is from the west. He doesn't remember it anymore. It's blotted out. That is amazing grace. Amen. And how does he do that? Does he just think it? No, he had to actually. Because he's holy and just and righteous, that sin had to be paid for. But on the cross, he suffered the hell that we deserve. Amen. He suffered our punishment on the cross. Well, but we're separated from God because of our sin, yeah? My God, my God, Jesus says on the cross, why have thou what? Forsaken, Forsaken me. But we get out of darkness, yeah? It says it became dark, right? In the daytime, it became dark, amen? But it says there'll be, no, there'll be this constant thirst. Yeah, that's right. Like the, like the rich man in Hades, Jesus on the cross, I thirst. He experienced, as infinite God, what we deserve for us on the cross. That's amazing. And he dealt with our debt, right? He, what, did he, what was that that he yelled at, out? That Greek word, tetelestai? Because we have that debt, sin debt. And what's tetelestai mean in the Greek? What does it mean? Paid in full. Amen. Go to Colossians chapter 2. This is such an awesome couple. The whole book's awesome, but uh, go to Colossians chapter 2. And look at what it says in verse 13 and 14. Look what Paul says. He says, when you were dead in your transgressions, we were spiritually dead, and the uncircumcision of your heart, verse 13, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Verse 14, having canceled out. Look at this. What did he cancel out? having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having what? Nailed it, Nailed it to the cross. All these things, what sins have you committed? Come on. A ton of them we've committed, right? As the psalmist said, my sins outweigh the hairs on my head. Wow. Outnumber the hairs on my head, not outweigh. 
You may have very little weight in the head. You're like, oh, that's not that bad. No, outnumbered. Let me get that right. That's a lot of sin, man. And guess what? Man, he doesn't hold it against us. He forgives as far as the east from the west, thrown in his back, behind him, his back, right? Amazing. You know, what's crazy and awesome about this, he remembers it no more. He treads it under his feet. And right here, he's canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. What's the certificate of debt? What we owe God? We owe, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not, you know, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament about. Guess what? Your sin debt was all these laws that you broke. Because keep in mind, do you remember, if you were imprisoned, guess what? They'd have a placard which would mention your crimes. Just like today, they have what crimes you committed, but they'd have them out by your jail cell. But if you went to the cross, man, you committed capital offenses, they'd put on the cross where you were hanging. And they didn't do this to Roman citizens because crucifixion was so despicably painful. But to the Jews they did, and others that were foreigners. And Jesus hanging on the cross, and his placard was up there, and there was a placard for what he was guilty of. And you know what he was guilty of? He said, what do it say at the top? King of the Jews. Well, guess what? That's not guilt. He wasn't guilty of any sin, but he was the king of the Jews. Well, then he said, paid in full. Who's he pays? Whose sins he's paying for, guys? Our sins. Amen? Amen. And this is what you share with unbelievers. You share these things with them. That, man, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all unclean. We're all in debt. But God on the cross was innocent, and there was a placard put above him. And you could just explain these things. I, I share these things sometimes when I witness. And he paid it in full, our, our sin debt, so we could be forgiven. Amen? Amen? And so we could have eternal life. I love Romans chapter 4, 7, and 8. Blessed are they whose transgressions, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Wow. I love Micah 7, 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's a good one too, huh? East to the west, tread them underfoot, put them back, depths of the sea. What's God trying to communicate to you? Quit letting the enemy bog you down because you're not perfect yet. As long as you're trusting Christ, you're seeking to go forward in him. Amen. You ask for forgiveness, you will be forgiven. He's cast your sins in the depths of the sea. That's pretty. You ever lose a watch or something when you're deep sea fishing? You think you'll ever find that? When it went to the bottom of the sea, you won't find it. I love what Corey Ten Boom, the Holocaust survivor whose family hid Jews and was put in concentration camps. She lost her family pretty much in concentration. She survived it, but she wrote a book called Tramp for the Lord. And uh, she gives a pretty cool mental picture of the forgiveness of sins being cast in the depths of the sea. And she says, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed, right? So quit fishing up your old sins, Amen. I love uh, Psalm 103, which we've been looking at, verse 4. Verse 4, or 3 and 4, and it's verse 7. And it's pretty cool because it says this, If you, Lord, kept record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can uh, reverence you or serve you. Israel, your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. That's beautiful, man. I'm sorry, that's Psalm, not 101, that's Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, and verse 
7, man. And I love it, man, because the accuser of the brethren, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night before God, it says. Oh, he walks up as we're in lion, but he spends a lot of time up there accusing us. Amen. He accused Job. Remember that? And praise God, man. We have to talk about how he's the prosecuting attorney. We're dead. If it's just him and our sins, we're doomed. But it says we have an advocate with the Father, defense lawyer, 1 John 2.2. 2. John says, I write these things that you don't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? Wow. An advocate. The Greek word is a defense lawyer. And he was used as someone who would defend somebody else in court. But he's not defending us because we were innocent. He's defending us because he took the price and he's able to plead to his father. Amen. You know how the psalmist, you know how they pray throughout the Old Testament with their hands raised? Jesus always lives, it says in Hebrews and also in Romans chapter 8, to make intercession for us. And as he pleads, I just thought of that first time that, wow, Jesus is probably praying with his hands up because that's how they prayed over and over again and were commanded to pray that way. That's a trip. So when he's praying to the Father, what's the Father seeing? Paid in full. I paid their fine, Father. Amen? And I always say I love it, man, because God hates the prosecuting attorney, the devil. Amen? And the defense attorney happens to be his only beloved, begotten and beloved son. Amen? He loves a defense lawyer. And there'll come a time in Revelation where it says Satan will be cast down. Amen? The accuser, your brethren says, Rejoice, O earth, because the accuser, your, or heavens, because the accuser, your brethren, has been cast down. Amen. Can't wait for that day, and I can't wait for the day that he's eventually thrown into the lake of fire. Well, let me give you one last verse to look at. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And when you get there, go to verse 6. This is just too beautiful, guys. Talk about the beauty of the gospel. This is one of my favorite passages on the beauty of the gospel. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless, we couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't do any 12-step program to get right with God. At the right time, what? Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for us when, after we were repentant and doing what's right. No, man. While we were ungodly, he died for us. Verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Man, rarely will someone even die for a righteous man. Come on, think about that, man. Would you die for someone who's righteous? That person is going to go get killed over there. But you can go take his place. He's a really good guy. Compared to, not compared to God, we're all sinners, but compared to other men, really good guy. Would you go die for him? That's very rare that someone who, he's saying it's rare that that even happens. For him will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. Someone might dare, it's very rare, but look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. This is his own love. This is love that's beyond human love. He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were, yet yeah, what? Sinners. We weren't righteous. None of us were really righteous. We're all sinners, he says in Romans 3.23. While we were sinners, criminals, doing evil deeds, he died for us. Amen? That's a blow mine, man. God demonstrates his own love, a special kind of love beyond human love and beyond the rare human love. It goes way beyond even rare human love, dying for the righteous man while we are yet sinners, rebels, criminals before God. Christ died for us. Think about that, man. You'd have a hard enough time dying for a righteous man, wouldn't you? I would, man. I'm like, Lord, I got a lot to do for your kingdom. You want me to what? You know? That'd be kind of tough, Amen? Give your son, your only son, 
For a righteous person, would you do that? Would you give your only child for a righteous person? Let them be sacrificed in their stead? That would be tough, wouldn't it? But how about, what about, what about this? What about the person you're dying for? He's, spit at, he's spitting on you. He's driving nails through your hands. He's punching you in the head after you. He's mocking you. He puts a bag on you and he's punching you in the face. Amen? He's pulling out your beard if you have a beard. If you're, if you're you know, like me or you're an Italian woman, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I couldn't resist. I, you know, sometimes things just come to your mind and you don't have, always have a filter. But uh, <laughs> my wife's Italian. She doesn't have a beard. And if she did, I'd still love her. I'd have her shave, you know. So, you know. But, uh, but man, could you imagine somebody doing all that to you? And then, I mean, they're spitting at you. They're mocking you. They're, they're whipping you till your back backs like hamburger. And then, when you, they, and then all of a sudden, they're, they're in trouble. And they're like, they need help. But you had to die for them to help them. Will you die for that criminal that did all that to you? Well, guess what? We're the criminals, man. Our sins put him on the cross. They represented us when they say, crucify him, crucify him. His own people, crucify him, crucify him, the Jews. And he died for us. In fact, it was in that death that he was dying for them. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the beauty of the gospel, guys, is that God gave his life for us. Are you with me today? You know? Well, what was church about? Well, we talked about the gospel. Oh, it's something I already know, but sometimes we need to just focus on it, amen? And do a whole message on it. Just talk about what Jesus did for us and the good news, amen? And get our minds around his great love when he said it is finished, you know? And by the way, it's interesting. Remember Barabbas? He was a criminal, man. He was a malefactor. And they wanted him instead of Jesus. But you know Barabbas, Bar, son of Abba, means son of the father, he was not a son of the Father. He was in rebellion to God. But Jesus took his place so he didn't have to be executed. And he took our place so we could become Barabbas, sons of the Father. It's pretty heavy when you think about it. I don't think that's an accident. He took our place. It's called the great exchange in theology, you know. Here I am. Here's Joe, you know, deserving just death, wrath, punishment, eternal separation, Right? Children of wrath, you know, uh, eternal thirst, separated from God's light and his love in darkness. That's me. And here's Jesus over here, man. He's in heaven. He's perfect God. But he becomes a man. Amen. And he humbles himself as the God man. But he doesn't just humble himself. He says, even to death on the cross, he steps over here in my place. Amen. And takes the wrath that I deserve. So I could step over here into his kingdom and be one with him. Amen. Amen. He exchanged his life for our lives. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why you can have confidence and you can enter in to the joy of the Lord with great confidence and great thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. So, man, remember Jesus talked about that servant and he said, have mercy on me. And it says his master had pity on him and he forgave him those 10,000 bags of gold that he could never pay. Amen? We need to make sure that we ask God for forgiveness. And you can know the Bible says if one person comes to repentance, remember the angels rejoice. And do you remember what the scriptures say? Do you remember what they say when you look at uh, uh, the, 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 what he's done for us? In James 5, 19, 20, it says, Brethren, if any of you turn from the truth, say you got away from the Lord. And one brings him back. It says he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Those sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west. Right? 
So come back to the Lord like the prodigal son. If you're listening today by live stream, you're like, man, you're talking to me, Joe. Right now, come back. Because when the son came back, the prodigal son came back, says he came to his senses, he came back to his father's home. He says, my son was dead, but now he's alive, amen? amen. He was lost, but now he's found, amen? amen. Christ came to find you, to come and seek and save that which was lost, amen? But you have to be serious, man. You have to get up and say, I'm going back to my father's house. Amen? You have to repent and put your trust in Jesus and what he did, and you'll have eternal life. Amen? Make sure you're serious, man, because there's no thing that you will face that's more important in your life and after you die than standing before God and making sure you're right with Jesus. Amen? And that your sins are forgiven. There's nothing greater that you should be focused on than being right with God. And then when you're right with God, letting God use you to bring other people to Christ so they can be right with God. Amen? That's the Great Commission. That's the mission that we're in. Amen? And that we're on. Let's continue the work he's begun on us. Let's be a church that's evangelical, that's all about winning the lost of Christ and proclaiming the King and his coming kingdom. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Let us please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread.